You're listening to K's for Kinky Podcast. This is Eden. And this is Jen. And today we're talking all about vetting, which is why our clever title, I'd Vet My Life, is titled as such. <laughs> Good. Explain that. <laughs> I just want to make sure they know how clever it is. Um, please consider reviewing this podcast. Um, it really makes such a huge difference for us. It boosts our signal. Um, it helps us grow. That's what she said. Get bigger. You are really just. If Michael Scott was here right now, he'd be having a heyday. I'm thinking of him. Excellent. We're always thinking of Michael Scott. Let's get into this. Hello, and welcome to the K's for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics, so if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist, just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's take this seriously. Hi, Eden. Hi, Miss Jen. <laughs> You're ready to, to talk today? I am. My Good. voice is ready. My... <clears throat> hands are steady i'm ready to do this i don't think it matters if your hands are steady well if they weren't it, it could be <laughs> a number a of reasons <laughs> what are we talking about today i'm gonna talk about vetting yeah i mean i will say i think vetting is a really um one evergreen topic in the scene but also it's something that's been coming up a lot lately that i see on people's vet life um writings i've read at least like three different people in the last month basically Basically saying the same exact thing about vetting. And I kind of want to talk about the generic stance on vetting um, and why it's important to talk about, but also why it can be kind of almost irritating to hear experienced people talk about vetting. So I just went through a vetting process for play, which is not the only thing to vet for, but it is something that I just experienced Vetting is essentially the process within the scene where people do research on one another or research on an event, a class or an event host to find out as much information about their reputation, um, their experience and anything they might need to know before attending um, a class or an event or before getting involved either as a play partner or in a partnership with somebody. Um, Vetting exists in the vanilla world, but in the scene it's especially important because it's one of the only tools we have to... um, catch predators before they can sneak their way into your life. Well, and also it doesn't have to be that extreme, but also just to make sure that somebody's a good match or that a, yeah. an event is a good, you know, fit. So in this episode, we're going to talk all about vetting. You shouldn't trust somebody based on the amount of time they've been in the scene. You especially see people who've been in the scene for a long time releasing a post about this. And it seems revolutionary until it becomes a trend where a lot of people who have been in the scene for a while are writing the same thing. I, I don't know if this makes sense. But hey, Eden. Of, yeah? You know what? I've been in the scene a while and I do a lot of shit. You should still vet me. People yeah. should still vet me. Why don't you make a writing about it? And then I'll take <laughs> you seriously. Um, it, it really kind of rubs me the wrong way when people who are experienced talk about this topic so simplistically because they're really only speaking to extremely new people in these types of writings. Because people who've been in the scene for longer than a year typically have already discovered either the hard way or just through learning that, yeah, it doesn't really matter how long you've been in the scene. It's the type of experiences you have and your reputation that matter the most. So it, it, it just comes off to me as um, not bad, but odd when experienced kinksters fixate on vetting in the most simplistic way possible instead of talking about more complex issues in the scene with vetting and that's what i kind of want to do today like i want to talk about the complexity of (laughs) why vetting can work why it can fail and tactics that can be used to try to make it more effective but that sometimes still don't work i also want to talk about you know a lot of times we look at vetting in terms of we need to vet d types or tops yeah. Um, but I also want to talk about vetting leaders and educators and bottoms and S types. Yeah, us S types are a slippery bunch. You gotta watch <laughs> well, out no, for like, us. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> the vetting. I mean, the vetting that I just did went. It's somebody that 
you know, were looking to play and we vetted in both directions. I gave them a list of people to talk to as many names as I could think of. Um, and they gave me people that they've played with and they're on the bottom side and I followed up there. There's just so many, so much overlap in terms of what you can vet for that doesn't matter what side of the slash you're on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think the other thing I want to point out, um, I want to point out that there's different types of things to vet for vetting as a play partner is different than vetting for somebody to be in a relationship with you. And on top of that, no matter how well you vet somebody relationships are tricky business. So like when you get into relationship with somebody, sometimes there are things that come up interpersonally that don't make the person a bad person or, and maybe they don't make you a bad person, but that are things that are problematic that it's hard to vet for, you know, so vetting can only go so far and it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be interacting with somebody who is a perfect person because there's no such thing. So I also want to talk about, you know, what vetting is good for and what it isn't like the limitations of vetting and also that, yeah, like there's no guarantee in any interaction you have, no matter what you do, that it's going to go well. And that's just life. And like, you also don't have to spread rumors or be like shitty about somebody who you were in a relationship with because it didn't go well. Or that you played with who made a mistake or something. Yeah. You, I mean, I think we should take, not only should we take things we hear about others with a grain of salt, but we should be very careful about what we say about other people because in the scene, your, your reputation is your currency. So yeah. And also like. It's like a small high school in a small town. Yeah. Like I am very wary of people who talk shit. And, like, vetting is one thing, and, like, vetting is important, but people who just, like, walk around in the universe talking shit, um, I'm like, oh, shit, you must be a perfect person, because you feel the need to report whenever anybody else is imperfect. Like, it's just a very nerve-wracking thing to experience. That's not what I think first, but we'll get into that. (laughs) um, Miss Jen feels that it's easier to talk about vetting an event host well, not even so much an event host, but the event itself, which will include the host, right? right so vetting that, um, and then we'll go down from there to talking about vetting... Vetting educators, vetting play partners, and vetting for a relationship. Yeah, That's and at, with each success, successive level that we discuss, we will get deeper and deeper into what vetting actually requires. Um, so the reason we wanted to start off with vetting events and their hosts is because it's sometimes the most simplistic aspect. It can become more complex... Um, over time and the more you interact with an event host one-on-one and the more you interact with events that they host the more you go to them the more information you're getting about whether or not that's a space for you that you feel comfortable in yeah when we're talking about vetting we're usually talking about somebody who is new either to the community or new to that event right? right so you know going to for example a munch and, you know, people often talk about go to munches when you're new, you meet people, it's you know, it's not the pressure of play, etc. Um, you know, part of that, I, I like to recommend that people reach out before the munch to the event host um, and say, hey, like, I'm interested in coming to your munch, I'm brand new, you know, is there anything, any, if you have any questions, right, ask the host then. They can let you know. And then when you get to the actual munch, introduce yourself to them in person. Say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I wrote you that message. Um, I'm excited to be here, blah, blah, blah. But really a lot of the vetting in this situation is experience, right? So going to the munch, talking to other people at the munch, finding out people who are there regularly, see how they like it, Um And then just get a feel. Part of this is trusting your gut as well. You know, when you go, whether it's a munch or any other party, etc. Part of it is what feels good to you. You know, is it, does it feel like a safe enough space? Um, Good energy? Yeah. And I think the other thing too is um, as you start to get to know leaders in your community, you can kind of see how they not only treat you, but treat other people um, and how they handle conflict if you happen to get to know them well enough to see them having to handle a conflict. Um, Typically what will happen at events, like a party or something like that, every once in a while there will be a time when a leader has to step up and actually like make a tough call or intervene if something's going wrong. Um, And, you know, if you happen to be involved in that scenario, watching how involved the leader is and what their process is can tell you a lot about how they are as a leader. 
Um, unfortunately, there is a lot of pressure on event hosts um, in general to not only, you know, do a safe event, pull off the event, have a good event, but also to essentially lead in times of crisis. Um, and it kind of comes with the territory that when somebody hosts things in the scene, be it a support group, a class, parties, etc., they sort of over time gain a certain amount of notoriety and also a certain amount of responsibility and leadership, whether they asked for it or not and whether they deserve it or not. Yeah, so, and we're going to have a whole other podcast yeah. just on this topic. But when you're getting to just know an event host and to see if an event is for you, you don't really necessarily need to do intense vetting. It's as you start to get to know that person more that you can gather more information. Um, but likely, most likely, unless you're becoming close friends with an event host or they become a huge part of your life in terms of what you go to, um, it's going to be more so important to just kind of get a sense of do you like the feel of the event and do you feel safe there? Yeah, my my only other suggestion is that I tell people is go to the same event more than once to start to get to know people. Obviously, if you go, if it's a party or something and you go and it's like, oh, God, this is horrible and I feel awful and this is not my jam. Don't go back. But if you're going to like a munch, for example, I've met people who go, you know, they're like, OK, there's four munches in my area or within driving distance a month and I'm going to go to each one and at the end of the month they're like yeah I don't know if munches are for me I didn't really you know click and connect with anybody well of course not because you're meeting people you, you went to four munches but it's going to be different people that you're meeting at those I highly recommend going back to the same munches so that you start to see the same people and even more importantly they start to see you you're not just some new rando walking in. You're now so and so. I don't want to say a name because so so. you're so and so Joe Schmo. Um, and I recognize you now and you start talking to more people and getting to know more people. And by doing that, it will become more comfortable just because you've made connections. So that would be another thing that I would suggest, especially with munches. I do want to say as somebody who um, does help to host events and is often in a position of at least being seen in the forefront, if not actually in a position of leadership, um, event hosts should be just as kind to you as a normal person would be. Like event hosts should not be disdainful, disrespectful, rude, or, or harsh or sharp with you. Um, if it feels like bad customer service, that's because it is. Um, you deserve to be treated with respect and kindness. Um, and that doesn't change when you're in the scene. I just wanted to point that out for people who might be really new and listening to this podcast right now. Um, even though BDSM, you know, has a reputation for like, you know, old dominatrixes and whips and stuff. Um, <laughs> that was my whip we, noise. That was great. <laughs> we don't have any actual, you know. No, I know. That was so I realistic. They must, they must have thought that that was. Oh, I thought you were saying, like, don't worry, guys. It wasn't a real whip. No, we don't have any real. We don't have any real sound effects. So we just have to make them. I thought that was great. Okay. It was so realistic. I'm glad you pointed out that there wasn't a whip in the room. People probably were scared. Okay. Um, Smart ass. Uh, so um, just, just wanted to make sure that you understand that um, your rights as a human to be treated kindly and with respect uh, are not removed when you step foot in a dungeon. Um, or a munch. Yeah. So moving on from events hosts, event hosts and events. Um, we're going to go ahead into what was the next thing that you want to talk about? Educators. Educators. <clears throat> so educators, this one is to me way more important than necessarily event hosts, because even though event hosts, it, it definitely matters and event hosts can have a lot of control and power about how an event goes down. Educators, uh, really, really need to be vetted. Not only by people who are hosting classes and coordinating educators, um, but by you as an audience member, because guess what you need to be able to teach in the scene? Guess what you need to be able to do to call yourself an educator in the scene? Convince someone. Willingness. Convince someone <laughs> that you have something to say and let them put you in front of an audience. How much experience do you need to teach in the scene, Miss Jen? Technically speaking, how much experience do you experience need to teach Experience teaching or experience in doing the whatever. I mean, you don't. Depending on what none, because, so, you know, it's 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 not like our, you know, educational system out in the world, colleges, high schools, etc., where people have to go through training and get credentials. Right. We don't have that in the kink scene. Um, yeah. So, like, to be honest, 
any asshole who has stood in front of a crowd and said words about their experience can call themselves a kink educator. And there are many assholes who have done exactly that. Um, there are also are you a lot of an asshole. What? No. no, there are also a lot of the thing is, everybody has to start somewhere as well. Yeah. Um, and I want to, you know, what is it? Laud? Laud, my dominant. Is that the word? L-A-U-D. I want to say good things about my dominant here. <laughs> she will often create opportunities for newer teachers to start to get experience. But she has her own vetting process for these teachers. Um, and the first time somebody teaches with her or with us, we do keep an eye on, you know, what are they saying? Are they how are they doing in terms of presentation? Um, are they being inclusive? Is what they're saying making sense? Um, is it accurate? These are all things that we watch when we're starting to vet someone for the first time as coordinators. But um, the reason I point this out is because there are some very problematic classes I've seen in the scene and very problematic teachers I've encountered in the scene. That's um, one thing I want to distinguish is material versus teaching ability, because yeah. that can be a big difference too. Somebody might send me like, when I have somebody who's teaching somebody something new or it's a new teacher to me that I host, I'll have them send like, okay, what's your basic outline for the class? And like, they might have all the information there. And I'm like, wow, this is going to be a great class. And then they get up there and what comes out of their mouth or the way they present things or whatever. It's like, oh God, what have I well, done? <laughs> so, I mean, there are times when even to the best of your ability as a coordinator, you, you might be taking a, a chance on somebody to give them a shot. And I've seen this pan out well, and I've seen sometimes um, it not go super well. But typically, what you want to find out first is what did that teacher do to get to where they are, and who is backing the teacher? That would be my first question. So, like, to me, I tend to trust when my dominant puts somebody on on, on the roster for teaching because I know that she does her own vetting process. Her vetting process tends to be, um, do I know this person? Have I heard them teach before? If I've never heard them teach before or this is their first time, can they send me an outline of what they're going to be doing? How or thorough... have they been recommended by somebody that mm -hmm. I trust? Yeah. How thorough is their outline? Um, do I personally trust them? Um, things like that. And also, what is their level of experience? Do they have the right to call themselves an educator on this topic? You know, and that is something that she judges for herself. And that's the other thing, too, is that, like, these are all standards that each coordinator will hold themselves to that they devise on their own an institution might have a standard like i think threshold has a standard that they try to follow universally for their board when they have a teacher i'm not sure if that's true i'm not no sure idea. but i would imagine they do because threshold has a board of people that work together to create education i know that for sanctuary i think uh, there's an education coordinator but usually if but somebody's most of teaching the classes are through me yeah, many, most of them are through you, yeah. But there's also an education coordinator. You kind of want to look at the institution that um, is hosting the teacher to see if that institution had a hand in vetting the teacher. Um, some institutions don't vet their teachers. There's simply a, a space to rent. They mm -hmm. don't vet their educators. That's not their job. That's not their function. And then other institutions... They're just providing space. Yeah, other institutions heavily vet their teachers and put their stamp of approval on those teachers. So if you go to an institution, an organization, a dungeon, and they say our stamp of approval is on this teacher and you don't like that teacher, you should hold the dungeon in some respects accountable. If you have a concern about a teacher, you should reach out to the coordinator, the dungeon that hosted, and possibly even the teacher themselves if you're comfortable um, to ask questions. Teachers should be able to answer questions that are uncomfortable in the moment and coordinators should be able to step in or inter, inter, intervene if something is going wrong. Um, that's like an emergency scenario. But for the most part, what I would say is that even in the best of circumstances with teachers um, that you trust or with coordinators that you trust, you're going to get a couple classes coming through occasionally that don't quite sit perfectly Absolutely. right. Because a lot of teachers in the scene teach from experience. It's experiential and it's anecdotal. And a lot of teachers or a lot of people that you know are teaching for the first time may be great on the subject but have zero experience teaching and their their teaching style falls flat you and know they're still it's learning just, how to hone that exactly exactly i mean i if i look at when i started teaching versus now totally different right there's a comfort level that comes into play as you do it more and more and i would say yeah you know i <clears throat> i teach myself I, I teach myself no i also i am a teacher but i also host teachers 
And absolutely, I've had some come through that, quite frankly, I won't have them back. Um, well, and that's a pattern you can look at, too. Check out if your teacher taught with somebody once and hasn't come back again. Look at that because it doesn't guarantee that the reason is because they weren't asked back, but that could be a very big reason why you're not seeing them repeat. But I do like to give new teachers a chance Mm -hmm. um, because I'll give you an example. Like I, I was, um, I was contacted. Wow. Words are really hard. I was contacted by um, an institution that was vetting a teacher that they hadn't had before And I was able to vet for them and say, yes, they're fantastic, but I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had not given that teacher a chance because I was their first opportunity to start teaching and they were fantastic, right? So I feel like giving new teachers a chance for me, yes, there holds a risk, but I would say a majority of the time, it's fantastic. And and I end up finding these, these gems, you know, and those great teachers start you know, putting together new content and other classes and it's fantastic. I would say be kind to your teachers, be aware that they're people, be aware that it might be their first time teaching. Um, if they, if it's not their first time teaching, they will often tell you upfront what their experience is. So you usually will know if somebody has had experience and you can usually hold them more accountable if you discover, wow, they've had a lot of experience and they're really problematic. Which is often, actually, to be honest with you, a lot of the most problematic teachers I've seen are ones who've been teaching for years, um, who maybe hey. has, <laughs> who maybe haven't updated their material, or who maybe haven't gotten with the times, um, and are saying things that are frankly racist or sexist or transphobic, um, and they haven't adjusted yet, um, or they're not going to adjust because they don't see a problem with it. That's some of the most yeah. difficult stuff that I'll see with teachers who've been teaching for a while, not all teachers, obviously there are plenty of amazing experienced teachers, but you really want to pay attention as an audience member to, um, the quality of what you're receiving and how long the person has been teaching, because you'll be able to tell, is this person inexperienced or is this person hardened in their ways and (laughs) giving me information that they have cultivated that I don't like? Yeah. And some people are going to be, you know, you're going to be for some people and some people just aren't going to stick. And most teachers will say, you know, or at least would say, um, you know, take what you like, leave the rest, right? Like take what works for you. And my personal recommendation, um, you know, along with going to munches is going to classes. Like I really, that's how I started when I got into the scene, I would hit up as many munches and classes as I possibly could regardless of the topic because I was like I'll meet people I might see some of the same faces I might make friends right and I'll learn something even if it's just a small little nugget that ends up being useful later so now we're going to talk about vetting play partners vetting vetting play partners I think is the most common reason people vet uh, because it's like the most common and quick occurrence that can happen in the scene and vetting play partners is not exactly as easy as it seems I'd like to talk about things that we recommend that we do for vetting play partners. Um, And I also want to talk about um, the risks of vetting, um, the uh, inherent bias of vetting, and making sure that you talk to the individual you are vetting, not just people around them. (laughs) And if you hear something you don't like or that concerns you, ask the person directly to speak for themselves, to hear what they have to say, because there are always multiple sides to every story. And sometimes people will have made a mistake in their past. They will have done work on themselves and they will be ready to rejoin and try again. And I personally believe that depending on where somebody is in their growth and the work they've done to improve, people deserve second chances. So um, with that being said, let's dive into what it takes to vet a play partner. I, so first of all, I want to point out that when it comes to pickup play, oh God, I'm going to sneeze. God, you're sexy. <laughs> I stopped it. Okay. Um, <laughs> when it comes to pickup play, that's almost a different animal. And when I say pickup play, I'm talking about pickup play with somebody that you don't know well. Because you can also do pickup play with a really good friend. You pick up; it's called pickup play, just because you haven't had a chance to pre-negotiate. 
that's a kind of pickup play that might be a little different, but pickup play with a stranger essentially, or somebody you've just met at that party. It's your part of the reason why I say pickup play is more risky is because you don't have time to do much vetting. You know, you're lucky if in that situation you can maybe watch them play at the start of the night with somebody and you like what you see you know, you might be able to find one or two people there who who knows them or maybe played with them that you might be able to talk to, uh, but there's more risk there. And I don't do pickup play like that. Um, I never have. Have you? How would I have done that without your permission? You were at parties before you met me for like two weeks. Still, I mean, <laughs> I don't only, know what happened. I had one. In- <laughs> I had one interaction with one person. That was basically pick up play where they were, they basically said, here are the toys in my bag. Can I show them to you? And the experience, while it was interesting, it was my first encounter with electro play also did not include, um, safe negotiation for risks that could happen with electric play. So that became part of your vetting of that person. (laughs) Yeah. And as a result of that encounter, I was not harmed. But I had irregular heart palpitations afterwards and ended up wearing a heart monitor for a month. Yeah, so the very beginning of our relationship, because it was right I had a sexy heart monitor on for a month. (laughs) Um, But the reason I do actually like to bring that up for pickup play is that if you are inexperienced, you don't know what you should be doing in negotiation. You can try to trust somebody who is experienced to do it well for you. And I think a lot of us place a lot of faith in the energy we get off people. Like I am a really good energy reader. I connect with people immediately. There are times when I just have instant chemistry with somebody and I usually trust my gut. Um, And on top of that, I have learned in the scene that there are people who are genuinely well-intentioned, who read well on my energy screen or whatever, who don't follow through and don't do the things that that they should and they're not very responsible in a moment. And it's not because they're a bad person. They just drop the ball. And I, if, if you don't know that they're dropping the ball because you have no experience, you're taking a risk you don't even realize you're taking. So I definitely recommend that if you want to do pickup play, don't do it in the beginning. I also yeah. want to point out that unfortunately, many pickup players are newcomers yep. because they don't know any better. They don't know any better. But and, yeah, they don't, play, and they don't have established even friendships yet because they're new pickup right? play is rolling the dice hard um and it's banking heavily on your ability to read other people and it banks heavily on your own ability to self-advocate and to negotiate and to we recognize have, sorry i was just gonna say we should have a whole podcast on pickup yeah. play <laughs> um it's just to re- you have to be able to recognize when something is going wrong on either end so that you can stop something from happening if you want to do pickup play that's my recommendation um, I don't do pickup play because it's not possible within my dynamic for me to do that. Um, in my dynamic, I need to uh, go through a whole process of vetting somebody and asking permission and getting that person approved by my dominant before I play with them. Um, if I were to do pickup play, I don't think it would be like a deal breaker for me like to pick up play, but I would not do pickup play with anything heavier than spanking or like light impact. Um, I would be very careful doing pickup play. I would do like the easy level mm-hmm. stuff just to get to know somebody. So yeah. if you do want to do pickup play and you are experienced, I would hope that you're using it to kind of feel out a person and just sort of see if you guys have any play chemistry, but let's move on from pickup play since neither you nor yeah, I really engage in it. Yeah. Let's do a whole other podcast on that. I actually taught a class on it a while back, back in terms of back in my day oh my God. when I was switching, I did a class on pickup play. No, it was when I was, after I met you, I did a class on pickup play. Did you seriously? Yes. Are you sure? I'm positive. Thank you very much. Yes. We'll do a whole podcast on pickup play. I'll, I'll even in preparation, I'll pull up my class notes for you. We should pick up play with a bunch of people <laughs> before we do the podcast. No. Yeah. That's no. It's just a good way to get some field experience. Oh my God. No. All right. Everybody who's listening to this. Hit me up for pick up play. And the reason I my say no too is eight five seven. Oh my god, seven. that's not true. Okay, so the other reason too is as a as a top, and I'm going to say top and bottom for pick up play because there shouldn't. If you're just picking up play with somebody, there should not be power exchange. Unless that's your love story, and like you're like oh you my guys god. suck. That's how I met my dominant. <laughs> We're in love, and we've been together for seventeen uh, years. I just okay, anyway, over. as a top, I also carry risk. Both sides of the slash carry risk in pickup, oh, in any kind of play, but like especially in pickup play. 
It's a PSA it's a lot of trust. Well, no, there's just a lot of trust that you have to have, which is why I think it was very smart for you to say, yes, it would be very light play, right? Thank you. You're not going to go into edge play or, you know, mental play and all that kind of stuff. Well, so talking anyway. about vetting with play, keep in mind as a top or a bottom, but as a top, keep in mind that when you play with somebody, you are open, opening, you are opening yourself to the risk of them if you don't know them well, turning around the next day and saying, actually, I didn't like that. And um, reporting that you either didn't respect their discomfort or that somehow you crossed a boundary, even if you didn't, you open yourself up to those types of accusations, um, whether they are valid or not. If you're playing with somebody who is capricious. Ooh la la. So smart with your glasses on and your big words. Wow. (laughs) feel so seen and mocked yeah if you're feeling capricious and suddenly have the urge to leave us a review um it would really help it would help a lot so please um do that look up the word capricious first yes it's a very fancy (laughs) word um and you know help us out by leaving that review because basically that's gonna mean that we're around for a lot longer and we really like doing this we do so far so far so far we like it now back to our regularly scheduled program what i mean to say is this if you violate a safe word in a scene if somebody calls red and you keep going you're being an asshole you're being an asshole you're violating consent you deserve what's coming to you when it comes to your reputation being damaged um and any sort of consequences that follow if you do it on accident I'm sorry to tell you, your reputation will still be damaged. There will be consequences that follow, but hopefully you can recover and over time learn and grow, right? Um, I can't really imagine how you'd violate a safe word on accident, but I'm sure there's a scenario well, if you don't somewhere. Hear it. Well, yeah, if you didn't hear it or something like that. Yeah. But there are many occasions that I've heard of where somebody was playing with a newer play partner and the play partner later reported, yeah, I said I didn't use any safe words. I uh, consented to everything beforehand. Everything went exactly as we said it would. Afterwards, we had aftercare. I had nothing to say to that. But three days later, I decided actually I didn't like that. And they basically retell the story um, where they say that the D-type, oh, I was uncomfortable. The D-type didn't, didn't recognize it or notice it. And I didn't feel good about the scene. And there was a vibe to it that I didn't like, you know, and et cetera, things like that. Or worse, there have been times where I've heard stories where people lie and say things like, oh, I, 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 I was crying but they didn't stop even though that was something that was pre-negotiated these types of things can happen they turn into he said he said she said they said they said situations she said she said he said he said god damn it they They turn into they said they said situations (laughs) um where it's hard to tell what's going on and if you are a d-type in that scenario and suddenly you discover that somebody you you did all the things you're supposed to do but you're still being painted as the bad guy that really sucks. And the only way to kind of protect yourself against that as a D-type is to trust your bottom. Well, and the reason that we say Sorry, you talk to more than one person about someone um, is because I've personally witnessed a top get dragged through the mud from an observer of a scene. Um, and, and that's something where I say, yeah, if somebody was vetting that particular top and talked to the person who witnessed the scene and made their own conclusions about it, they would probably hear that that top was unsafe and dangerous and all these kinds of things. But if they talked to 10 other people who'd played with that top, they'd hear glowing reviews, including from me, who had actually bought them to this person. So I knew from firsthand experience. And I think that's a good example of why you don't just ask one person. You know, how is this person, you know, you don't just go to one, one individual who has played with the person or one individual who's friends with the person. You hopefully can try to talk to at least a handful of people, yeah. you know, um, several people. I guess what we're advocating for right now is the importance of vetting for play partners from every direction. If you are a bottom, you should be vetting your top. If you are a top, you should for sure be vetting your bottom and you should be able to trust your bottom to know that they have integrity because somebody without integrity who changes their mind about whether or not something was consensual based on how they feel the next day um that is dangerous so you want to make sure that when somebody gives you their consent they mean it um and that they are not somebody who is going to um drag your name through the mud because you broke up with them 
and they're mad at you. So now they're going to punish you by framing everything that you did consensually suddenly as non-consensual, which can and has literally happened. So um, that being said, here are some things you should look out for with play partners. You should try to see um, and to talk to as many previous play partners as they can give you. I would say try to get three or four examples. Yeah, I felt really bad because when I was trying to give names to this person and I realized I don't do a lot of play outside of relationships. So I had like three or four names (laughs) to give them, which I gave them all I could. It's just, I mean, you were, you know, obviously one of them. Um, But yeah, that's another point, actually, is don't just get the names of their current partners. Yeah, try <laughs> to get as, much, get as much as you can. <laughs> Ask them. Like, my, my, my dominant has been in the scene for almost, like, 15 years. You keep adding. I think it's, like, 14. <laughs> she came into the scene, and she's an know. absolute delight. I would also ask them what they what their favorite things to do are. I would ask them what they're not confident about. That's a weird question, but what are you not confident with? Like, what do you not want to do? What are your hard limits and what skills are you either still workshopping or you just don't feel like you are ready to do yet? I think any good top should be able to tell you at the very least what they're not interested in doing um, or things that they find they don't have a a knack for. Um, I, I I would also outrightly ask the top or the bottom, have there any, are there any incidences in your past that you feel you'd want to disclose to me? Like, have you ever had an accusation of a consent violation? Have you ever had a bad falling out with a play partner? Um, things like that. I would also ask. Well, this is also can kind of glom into negotiation. Um, you know, in terms of like, I've asked like, you know, have you had anything go wrong in a scene? That kind of stuff. Um, but I think something that we kind of just threw out there and didn't really, you know, like give weight to, because you said it, is getting to know the person. Yeah, well, get um. to know the person and if you even want to be in a scene with them. Because yeah. being in a scene is exchanging a lot of energy and it's it's a lot of trust and intimacy that goes into a scene. Do you even like this person? Does this person treat you respectfully? Does this person like, that's the other thing too, like, if you want to do a scene with extreme degradation and humiliation, more power to you. But outside of that scene, does this person treat you well? Does this person let you have a voice? Does this person listen to you? If you're a top and you're writing a bottom, does the bottom um, like treat you kindly and, and value Respect your boundaries? Your boundaries yeah. yeah, like these are things that you want to find out. Um, well, now, keep in mind, I want to have a disclaimer here that we're both Demi. So we're both also coming from a place of we kind of need to get to know somebody before we do these things. There are some, or at least want to, there are some people who don't care about that. They don't care about like having to, if they want to play, they'll just, they'll play whether they like you or not, or they'll have sex, whether they like you or not. Like that's fine. Like say it with more confidence. That's genuinely fine. It's It's fine. As long as you're, you know, Safety is the only issue. Safety, in that, yes, in, in exactly. That, like that as long as you're being safe. Um, the other thing I would ask is if this is a harder skill, like whipping or like a riskier skill that they want to do, I would ask them one how long they've been doing it, and also say, "Can I see a demonstration? Can I see you play with somebody else before you play with me?" That's another one that, like, I think is a really good thing to do. And do they have safety equipment of whatever type of play they're going to do? Right, so. If you're going to do fire play, do they have all of the things in case they set you on fire? Um, or if they're, you know, even for basic play, like I always have a mini first aid kit in my bag. Like I don't intend usually ever to open someone's skin, but I have wipes and band-aids just in case. Right. So making sure they have safety equipment um, which is another reason why I really highly recommend if you are going, if, if you bottom at all, go to classes as if you're a top, pay attention to the safety stuff. Yeah, honestly, like if your top doesn't bring up safety on their own, that's a red flag if you're a bottom. And if I were a top, you know, playing with a bottom and I find out they have zero experience in the scene and have gone to no classes, I would literally like limit the play to the most basic thing ever or just take it off the table entirely and say, you're really interesting. I really like your vibe. I'd love to play with you. You need to take some classes. 
contact me when you've taken some classes about safety so that you at least know how to vet me. I do not want to play with somebody who can't advocate for themselves yet. I just don't want to. I don't mind being someone's first experience, but I want them to do base minimum work to protect themselves and to protect me. And as a top, I would also want to make sure that the bottom I'm playing with knows how to use safe words and will use them. And the other thing with safe words, like having just done some negotiating, you know, when it comes to safe words, part of my vetting, you know, was about communication during the scene and after. Um, So I got information back where I made sure that during the negotiation, I asked about that, like, you know, if there is a tendency to go nonverbal, you know, I, and I said this to them, I will make sure that I have a plan in place for nonverbal communication during the scene, whatever that might be. So just, you know, being on top of that kind of thing, which is why, honestly, I highly recommend just kind of getting to know the person, getting to know each other before play. And also for me, I will always keep a first scene with somebody, even if I'm good friends with them. If it's our first scene, I'm keeping it light. I'm not, I'm going to maybe negotiate, I always say this, I negotiate the entire baseball field, but I'm only going to play to the pitcher's mound. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'd rather somebody leave wanting more than regret anything. (laughs) Yeah. So those are some tips for vetting play partners. Um, And again, the other thing I'd say about play partners, really quick before we go on to other types of partnerships that can involve romance or more intense intimacy and relationship style play um, and stuff. If you play with somebody, one, that is a form of vetting them. So once you get to the point where you're ready to play with them, you will then be able to gather firsthand information. Um, Two, once you start to play with people, you become associated with them in the scene socially. Um, People, the people you play with are the people that, others look at when they look at you the, the company you keep says something about you um so select your play partners wisely you know and make sure that they're people that I, I would i would this is personal advice it might not be for everybody but i would say play with people that you you would at least want to be friends with that you would say yeah i like this person and i like how they conduct themselves i would also this is a personal thing for me but i'm not going to play with somebody who's um moral code doesn't in some way align with mine or who violates major moral codes for me. So like, I'm not going to play with somebody who is an excellent flogger, but who treats women disrespectfully. Even if they treat me respectfully, I'm not going to play with them. I'm not going to play with somebody who is, I come to find is transphobic, even if they're the best top ever, because I don't want to have somebody who's transphobic um, and really problematic in my, in my life in a major way. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, keep an open mind with it. Um, and also, I mean, back to kind of the original point of this, of the, everybody posting up about, you know, just because I'm experienced doesn't mean I shouldn't be vetted. Um, (laughs) I got so into that that I forgot what I was going to say. Um, (laughs) but just because somebody is friends with somebody who you maybe have friends on FET or even in real life, no, no, no. Even in real life, if somebody if like you've, you've, you know, vetted me, whether officially or just in your own brain um, and decided that you like me and you think I'm cool and you feel like you could trust me as whatever capacity and you notice that I'm friends with somebody and that friend wants to play with you or you might want to play with that friend, do not assume that just because I am friends with that person, even in real life, that I would necessarily recommend them to play with. Yeah, it like, kind of goes I... both ways. Like, so it's sort of one of those things where like, no matter what you do, the company you keep, people you are very close to, especially people who you are in relationships with, in houses with, or play partners with, people will automatically associate you with them, even if upon talking to you directly, they discover that you might not recommend them for certain things. And that's why I say, use me to vet them for sure, because I will give honest feedback. Even yeah. if they're a friend, I will give my own personal feedback. Um but yeah, don't don't assume that association means safety. Yeah. Um, so the last piece of this puzzle is interpersonal relationships. And um, I want to acknowledge as we talk about this last topic, we are going to be referencing romantic relationships. But we understand that there are lots of other relationship styles that are intimate and overlapping that are not romantic, that are just as valid. Um, we're simply going to be talking shorthand about all of those types of relationships that go beyond 
just uh, just they go beyond play or they become partnerships of some sort. Um, so I think we'll, we'll call it actually just partnerships, partnerships, um, whether they be romantic, sexual, friendship based, um, you know, nesting based, um, completely play based, but just very overlapping and very intimate. We're looking at intimate partnerships and um, how to vet for those now. OK, so we'll try to use the word partnership uh, moving forward. So. This is the trickiest one of all, and the reason that Ms. Jen wanted to put it at the end is because it's the most complex piece of this puzzle, which is how do you vet a potential partner? Um, and this is this actually, I want, I want to start with the company they keep at this point. Uh, what I was going to say is that a lot of what we just went over, applies. if you've done that already, like if you started off sort of as play partners, then hopefully a lot of it has been covered as well, so that's great. So what I would first look at with here's just some things that I look at with partners. I I care and I think everyone should care about a, a partner's ability and willingness to communicate. Are they reliable? Um, are they do they instigate communication? Are they an aggressive communicator, a combative communicator, or are they a um, compassionate um, communicator who collaborates with you in conversation? Um, is this person open to hearing feedback? Is this person open to giving reassurances? Is this person available to talk to you? Does this person respect your boundaries and can you respect theirs? How much time does a person have to give you? How much time do you need? These are some of the things that I would look at when I'm first vetting somebody for a partnership or, or a more intimate relationship. But I would also add um, something that I think is really important to ask that I saw on somebody else's list and I just immediately took it and I was like, this is the best question ever. What are some things you're personally working on, some wounds that you carry, and some stuff that you know about yourself that is problematic that you are currently actively working on? What are some of those things? That is a really big question to ask somebody, and it requires somebody to have the level of self-awareness necessary to actually acknowledge and point out their own flaws that they are actively working on. And asking them to identify what are you doing to work on these things lets them know that you know perfection isn't required, but that you do require people to be responsible for self-work. And to set that standard from the beginning and to see how somebody reacts to that standard being set says a lot about who that person is and whether or not you want to be with them. Um, to me, that is one of the most important things to see is that other people are responsible for their own self-growth and aware that they need to grow. All of us need to grow. All of us should constantly be working on ourselves. And any person who is not doing that or who thinks they have nothing to work on is a dangerous person, period. Um, because they almost certainly, even if things are going really well for a while, will cause harm to you in an intimate um, partnership or relationship. Because um, we all have wounds, but if we are not willing to acknowledge them, we basically make the people around us do the heavy lifting for us or we simply cause harm everywhere we go. What are some things that you look for that you think should be asked for vetting a partnership is <clears throat> done? Well, it's not necessarily what should be asked. I tend to start my vetting. My vetting is kind of, I was just sitting here thinking about it. My vetting is ongoing with everyone in the sense that. Uh-oh. <laughs> ah, shit. I'm being vetted right <laughs> no, now. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're already in a relationship. Anyway, no, my, I'm an observer. Right. And I'm not talking about my therapist hat. I'm not talking about I go to things and I analyze people. You should be scared. She I, stares at everyone. She catalogs. She's like a Borg. She's just sitting there taking in information. It's not true. It is so true. No, when I'm when I'm hosting something or when I'm attending something, the therapist hat is is pretty much off. Right. I have different modes and I have I have to be able to compartmentalize. And for podcasts, I have to be able to speak. OK, so. But I am a, an observer. I, I am sort of constantly observing what people say and do. Not with a lot. Like, I, I don't want this to sound <laughs> scary. But like, when people talk to me, there's the piece of me, the part of me that is actively engaged and listening. There is also, I actually call it the observer, um, which is kind of that, like another part of my brain a separate personality <laughs> it's will. not another personality but it's just that observer piece that is paying attention to to what is being said or actions being done or whatever and I watch this not just when I'm interacting with people but when they're interacting with other people as well so you know you brought up earlier about 
um, what did you say? Something about when, you know, people are talking about other people or. Yeah, people are gossiping a lot about other yeah, people. Even so, if they're sharing stuff with you that you find interesting, you can almost guarantee they're going to turn around and talk about you to other people. Well, now you just said what I was going to say. LOL. Um, yeah. So, like, if somebody tends to, you know, talk to me about other people a lot that I have nothing to do with or they. Um, if they think that I have something juicy that, that, you know, they're like, Ooh, spill the tea. Um, that is an observation. Uh, just being friends with that person, that's an observation that I've made. And so if down the line, it becomes a question of, would this person make a good partner, whatever I have that, (laughs) if you will, cataloged in my brain. Um, for that reference. And the other thing too, I, I, I've heard people say, and I think, you know, I also agree that if you're talking to somebody, getting to know somebody on the level of wanting to be in a relationship with them, what do they say about their past relationships? Heck right? Yes. If Good they, one. if thanks, you're welcome. Just fuck yes. <laughs> if they have, let's just say 10 previous relationships, I'm just throwing a number out. And they talk shit about all of them and blame the ending of the relationship 100% on the other person. That tells me a lot. Or if they take on blame, but blame that like only a hero would take on. Like, I was just so busy pulling extra shifts at the orphanage that the relationship (laughs) didn't work out. Like, that's still not taking responsibility for like real things you can I realized that my part in the, the breakup was I was just too giving um and I didn't put up my boundaries <laughs> enough and they just I let them I enabled take. their behavior yeah, yeah if mean, somebody's framing their responsibility through the lens of them still being a victim that is not taking responsibility for things they may have actively done that caused harm in previous relationships and spoiler alert we all cause harm in our relationships Miss Jen and I accidentally harm each other all the time um that sounds really bad but like we make missteps with each other and we're growing all the time and learning relationships are never smooth and if they are then I don't know what to say about that yeah and I mean you know I'm like if I look at my own past relationships I'm on friendly terms with at least friendly or cordial with all of them minus one And the only reason for that is not because I wouldn't be able to, but I don't think they'd be able to. And so I've set a boundary there. Um, But that says a lot, right? Like that it, it, and I also, when I talk about past relationships, I can talk about the ones that were shitty. I can also talk about the ones that were amazing. And could you take responsibility for faults you've had in past relationships and mistakes you've made, even ones where you feel the other person bore a lot of responsibility? I didn't make any. What are you talking about? LOL. Red flag. <laughs> um, I think it's definitely important to ask somebody. They're just an asshole. <laughs> to reflect upon themselves because usually through breakups, even if we weren't a bad person in a relationship, we made mistakes. And usually it's healthy to reflect on past relationships and to go, ah, shoot, I wish I'd done that differently. And I recognize now that I could have done differently. So like you want to see some some growth happen as people go through and learn from each relationship they're in. I would definitely hope if someone's been in 10 relationships, they've leveled up each time and are now like a super well, that's, human. That, <laughs> level up. Um, that's the thing. Like, you know, and I work with clients who go through a breakup and, you know, the first thing that we kind of talk about is, okay, yes, this sucks. And there's the whole, you know, there's the grieving and all the things. But one of my first questions after that is what did you learn? Right. What can you take away? What, well, actually the, that's the second question. The first question is let's pull apart the issues within the relationship. What do you honestly believe are their responsibility to hold and what were the pieces that you are responsible to hold and with those pieces how can we grow right so yes hopefully if somebody's had a bunch of relationships they've hopefully taken those experiences and grown from them unfortunately it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not stuck in relationship patterns sorry i've got my therapist hat on a little bit right now um most people have relationship patterns and they are very difficult to break um, for most people and some people never break them. 
So that's something to keep in mind. Um, you can also ask somebody if they're aware of any patterns. <clears throat> yeah. um, and that will help a lot. Um, so questioning their awareness across the board of yeah. self-awareness <laughs> right? self is a good thing. And then I would also say follow through is a good thing. It's important for someone to be self-aware. But I have met a couple people in my life who say they're self-aware and then continue to do the behavior. And so basically they're just like self-aware assholes. That doesn't happen very often, but there is a certain type of abusive person who uses dialogue like this um, to camouflage themselves. So just Narcissists. Be a narcissist, exactly. <laughs> um, so moving on, a couple of other things that I had written down about this. Um, I think it's really important. Oh, you wrote shit down? I did. I, did. I think hey. it's really important to also see how somebody you're vetting treats their current partners or partner. Um, there's yeah, one... now we're getting into to polyam stuff. Well, yeah, yeah po with polyam stuff. Um, or or it doesn't I mean somebody doesn't have to identify as polyam necessarily to form partnerships that are meaningful. Well, that's true. They have but let's, let's, we can look at it through a polyam lens as well. Why but not? In, in one case, um, I, I know a particular person who I think that they, I, I was kind of observing that they treat their partner really poorly. Their relationship with their partner is incredibly toxic. And that says a lot about how they would be in other relationships. It's not a guarantee that they would be the same in every relationship, but you can definitely tell a lot about somebody based on what they're doing with a partner they have right now. Um, it's sort of like the, the other thing I would say too is um, ask this person how they feel about people they don't like and why they don't like them. How many enemies does a person have? Like that's the thing. How many enemies does a person need to have? First of all, like we all I'm sure have a list of people we don't particularly like or who have rubbed us the wrong way in our lives. But if this list is getting really, really long, that's kind of red flaggy. And if somebody is enemies with somebody and they can't frame that in a way where they take some responsibility for why things went poorly, it's possible they're telling the truth, but it's also very possible, depending on how frequent this occurs, like how many enemies are like this, um, that they just sort of are themselves an abusive person. Um, and they 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 constantly are getting butting heads with people around them, you know? So I would definitely ask people, like, you know, do you have a lot of people you dislike or pay attention to that? Um, but the last thing I'd say about vetting for somebody who you're trying to get into a more personal partnership with is um, spend time with them. Watch them over time. Um, put up boundaries with them. See what happens when you tell them no. Um, see if they follow through on promises that they make. Are they available to you? Or are they only available to you in certain circumstances? Like, do they love bomb you, but they go away when you have something more serious to say? Are they willing to have more complex conversations? Um, Things like that, I think, are really important to notice in interpersonal relationships and partnerships as they're starting to grow. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what I have to say about vetting. Um, vetting is not a perfect process. As you can tell, everybody has different experiences um, and, and processes these experiences differently. One person might react completely differently to the same stimulus as another. Um, and there are individuals in the scene who have... Um, I would just call them like pockmarked reputations. Like there are people who've been around long enough um, where they've rubbed people the wrong way and they've also done amazing things. It's not always clear cut. Somebody's not always a good person. Nobody or... is everybody's cup of tea. Yeah, and not everybody is a good person or a bad person. Similarly, if you're vetting a leader or somebody in a position of power, I will promise you, you will find people who hate them. Even if they are the best person ever, they will have had people who hate them because... People who are in positions of leadership in the scene are often put into a position where they have to make a call that is a no-win situation. The more of a footprint somebody leaves in the scene, the more likely it is that they will have some reports from people who do not like them. It doesn't make them a bad person, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen to all of the different pieces that you can find. You should gather as much information as possible. But when it comes to vetting, it's not a perfect process because... Um, one, reports you get could be biased. Two, you don't really necessarily know how somebody is and where they are in their growth until you interact with them one-on-one. -on -one. And um, finally, three, you might not be able to find the people you need to when you're vetting who can tell you or warn you in advance if somebody is dangerous. You just might not be able to find that information soon enough. Sometimes um, you're going to vet with the information you can get, and that information is going to be slanted in one or, or another direction. 
and it's going to impact the decision you make. You're not always going to have all the information you could possibly need to, f- to make an informed decision. You're just going to have the information you could find. So, um, bottom line is you take two cups of vetting, you add one cup of your own experience, you mix it all together and you come out with your own decision. I really liked that mixing bowl metaphor you did there. <laughs> You're welcome. I like to cook and bake and stuff. So yeah, you just baked up a really good vetting <laughs> metaphor. Yeah. Um, this is a bit of a heavy topic. And I also talked almost manically through all of it because I was so emphatically, you know, enthused about it. Um, Is our next episode a little lighter or we got more heavy hitters? Our next episode is Covert Kink Burglars, which is actually... (laughs) Okay, well, it sounds lighter. It definitely is lighter. It's just a conversation about covert kink. So um, if you didn't say for it out of the episode and you're still here right now... (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, next time we promise will be a little bit lighter, um, but you know, still awesome. Yeah. And, uh, Hey, follow us on Twitter. K is for kinky J E on Twitter. I find out when, when videos are coming out for the YouTubes and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. You won't just get your politics from Twitter now. You'll get us <laughs> get too. Kinky shit. Yeah. Lighten it up. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> see you next time. Bye.